0: We've sung a lot about sheep and shepherds this morning, and if you don't know how that connects to our passage, then let me show you. If you would open your copy of the Scriptures and join me in John chapter 10, we're going to read a passage of Scripture where Jesus describes Himself as the Good Shepherd, and He does so by also stepping on the toes of everyone around Him declaring that they are false shepherds. In John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, we read Jesus' words, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus has just painted a vivid and compelling picture of shepherding He has captured everyone's attention. His disciples, the Jewish religious leaders, the crowds, and even us this morning. Each detail of this figure of speech, this parable or proverb, was well known to his audience, perhaps even evoking memories of personal experiences as these Jews took care of sheep on the hills. And by a pine. These by applying these powerful images to himself and the religious leaders in verses 7 through 18, Jesus has made a clear contrast between himself and them. Between himself, the good shepherd, and thieves and robbers. Between himself and those that were hired to take care of sheep and who did it for the sake of money. Between himself and and those who expelled a man out of the synagogue for believing that Jesus was sent from God. And as Jesus' point lands on the ears of his audience in verses 19 through 21, we should not be surprised that it once again revealed a division between people, those who heard what he said and rejected it, and those who heard what he said and believed it. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take some time to work our way through this passage. I think it falls neatly into three point passage or three uh, different categories. Um, verses 1 through 6 is the parable, the figure of speech of a shepherd and his sheep. Verse 6 tells us that while they understood the things that Jesus told him, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Why is Jesus bringing sheep into this? Why is he talking about this now and here? That's what they didn't understand. And then as we look at verses 7 through 18, we see that Jesus will apply this figure of speech to himself. And as I've already mentioned, verses 19 through 21 is the result of Jesus' words. Notice some of these aspects. For those of us that don't raise sheep, um, sheep are those white fluffy things that we may see at a fair or um, we may just have them in a toy box, you know, stuffed animals. Jesus says in verse 1 that anyone who does not enter into the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way is what? A thief and a robber. So a thief steals. A robber steals by using force. And Jesus says, neither of those is a true shepherd. If they were a true shepherd, they could approach the door and the gatekeeper would let them in. He would welcome them to get their sheep out of the sheepfold. And in fact, Jesus says in verse 2, the one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Notice also, the gatekeeper not only opens to him, But look at verse 3. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The language there seems to imply that this sheepfold, this dwelling place, this safe haven, as it were, for sheep has more than one flock in it. How does this shepherd separate his sheep from the other sheep? How do how does he prevent all sheep from running past him and being running wild in the, in the open? <clears throat> Notice, shepherd speaks. He calls to his sheep. And they hear his voice. And they follow him. He leads them out. And verse 4 tells us that when he has brought out all his own He goes before them. The shepherd is not pushing the sheep from the rear. He's out in front leading them. And he quickly says in verse 5 that they will not follow a stranger. They will flee from him. So there's this element of trust between the sheep and the shepherd. There's an element of familiarity. There's an element of understanding. So when Jesus applies this to himself, what does he say? Look at verse 7. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So let's take a few minutes and let's unpack what this figure of speech, how Jesus has applied it to himself. In verses 7 through 10, he uses the metaphor of the door. I am the door, he says. He is the point of access to the sheepfold. And in the sheepfold, he is the point of access to get outside to the water and to the green pastures. How is it that sheep know the voice of the shepherd? I mean, it's a very simple thing that may be overlooked. I think in this passage, there is so much to appreciate here. How did they learn his voice and know the difference between his voice and somebody else's? Simply because the shepherd spoke to his sheep. David was described as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Perhaps in his work as a shepherder, writing psalms was the way in which his sheep learned his voice so that they would follow him. But we must not underestimate the fact of the time that it took to build that trust, to build that understanding. Nor should we underestimate the amount of sound that was required, the amount of talking or singing for this trust to develop. You see, a fundamental aspect of shepherding is that the shepherd talks and talks and talks a lot. So that the sheep learn their voice and follow it. Even if it means they follow it and turn away from food or turn away from the protection of the sheepfold or they turn away from water or comfort. They learn to follow the shepherd's voice. And that is why they do not trust the voice of another shepherd. It is foreign to them. So, As this relates to Jesus being the door, the point of access to the sheep, and the point of access from the sheep to the pastures, I wonder why is it that we as Christians have such a hard time trusting and following God's voice? You know, only two things are required to know and trust God's voice, and that's proximity to Him, being close to Him, and time together. That's all that was required for the sheep to hear the shepherd's voice and to trust it. Time together and closeness where they could hear it. Certainly the shepherd had to speak, but that's a given. Certainly God has spoken, but isn't that a given? The danger for us as Christians is when we have stopped listening to our Savior's voice and we have begun to listen to the voice of others. We no longer can distinguish his voice from theirs. I'll never forget my coach, basketball coach in high school, Coach Botts. He said, guys, uh, in the thick of the game, things are going to get loud. We went to uh, a lot of small schools and played in little gyms. It was much like Hoosiers without the drama of Gene Hackman and you know, all that, who's going to be the star shooter. But you would go to these pits and literally one place was a pit. It was our gym. It was down low and there was a balcony that went around it and there was about four rows of bleachers on one side and it was, everything was above you and around you. And the coach said, when we get into the game, you're not going to be able to hear my voice because the crowds are going to be so loud unless you learn to listen for my voice. And so he would press that on us constantly, time after time. He wanted us to be able to discipline ourselves to hear his voice so that it would cut through all the noise of the cheerleaders, all the opposing fans, all the hype and the adrenaline in our own bodies so that we could hear his instructions. And ultimately what our coach did was hold each and every one of us accountable There could be no excuse for ignoring his voice during a game. You've heard it enough during practice. I've told you how to prepare. I think this is an appropriate illustration for this relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. Even today, in the Middle East, as the shepherd calls for the sheep that know his voice, they respond to it by following their shepherd, and he walks before them. Verse 5 tells us they won't follow a stranger. If they're driven out of their enclosure and there's a stranger there who's trying to corral them or lead them, they will run from him because they don't know how to respond to a stranger's voice. So I wonder how we should respond by this, uh, to this teaching. How should we learn to hear God's voice? What are things that you and I can do as Christians? To put us in close proximity to God and learn to listen to his voice simply it's reading the word letting it wash us and fill us it also requires a learning how to respond when the spirit of God is prompting us when he is calling us instead of resisting it and saying no I want to pursue this path of temptation we, we need to learn to listen to him when he says this is not the way go another way What's interesting about this passage is in verse 4, it says that the good shepherd brought out his sheep from the fold. Now, this word brought seems very positive, doesn't it? He's taking them out so they can go eat, they can go drink. He's taking them to a safe place. But that word is the same word that's used in chapter 2 and verse 5 when Jesus cast out the money changers and the people selling livestock in the temple. It's the same word that's used in chapter 12 and verse 31 when it says the Son of Man came into this world to cast out the ruler of this world and to take over his kingdom. It's the same word used in chapter 9 and verse 34 when these Pharisees cast the man who was healed by Jesus out of the synagogue. What does that show us? Jesus, it, says, it doesn't say he cast the sheep out of the sheepfold. It says he brought them out. And this is a really important aspect of shepherding, and that is the aspect of authority. Authority is incumbent, right? The sheep do not tell the shepherd what to do. The sheep follow the shepherd. I know some of us, our minds are running ahead, oh boy, this is finally, James is going to reveal himself. This pastor has been longing for power and it's a year and a half in. In case you didn't notice, it was a year and a half on the 4th. I'm excited about being here. But no, I'm not trying to lobby for power. But it was interesting, interesting to me to learn that, these two, that this same word is used differently and the difference of its interpretation... Cast out versus brought out is all revolving around how that authority is used. And so you have people who are doing wrong, casting out a man. You have Jesus who is removing sinners who are occupying the temple, a place for prayer and worship, and they've turned it into a place of commerce, and he casts them out. And what we see here is that the good shepherd uses his authority to make sure the sheep's best interests are served. And this is true of all authority, whether it's used rightly or wrongly. The interests and the motivations of the one in authority will dictate either the harm or the care they provide others. I'm going to repeat that. The interests and the motivations of the one in authority will dictate or either how they harm or help those they provide for. In our application, we learn how carefully authority must be wielded. And we also see that authority rightly used to develops trust. You see, the sheepfold was a safe place. The sheep might have heard the, the animals prowling around outside, but they felt safe because they were in there. But the shepherd is now calling them out of a safe place to go to another place. And they may not want to go. But he uses his authority. Which is simply in the text what? Does he use a rod and a staff? Does he heap curses upon them? Does he call them names and curse them? He uses his voice. And he leads them out. Now this is, this is good authority. This is how authority brings blessing whether he whistled or sang or whether he called their name. And I want us to see the tender way in which your Savior, Christian, calls you. How we need to hear and fall in love with the sweet, clear sound of his voice and follow him where he leads you. Know this, as Psalm 23 tells us, our good shepherd is leading us to places of refreshment and nourishment even if the journey there will be hard we can trust him he's the good shepherd some of us are dealing with really hard things in our marriages in our homes in our lives but we need to trust the voice of the shepherd who says all my all your ways are known to me as we sang just a few moments ago that this king of love is our shepherd His ways may be higher than our ways. His thoughts may be higher than ours. But we can trust Him. Take the words of Psalm 23 and see that your good shepherd is at work in your life. We see from the Apostle John, in his third letter, 3 John, he ran into a false shepherd. And if you look at 3 John, verse 9 and 10, John is complaining to the church about a man named Diotrephes. This is a man that John has written to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself and does not acknowledge the apostle's authority, has prevented the church from hearing from the apostle John. And John says, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brother's and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. He casts them out of the church. We see that our Jesus, our shepherd, is not like any other shepherd. He is good and faithful and true. And we can trust him in all his ways. As we look at verses 7-10, through 10, We are reminded simply that a door leads to protection and provision. The door functions as a gate to life. Those who climb over the wall are up to no good. Make no mistake about that. Thieves and robbers, they don't enter the door because their purpose isn't to shepherd the sheep. Their purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy and when closed, the door of the sheepfold secures what's behind it. When it's open, the sheep are brought through it, and it is the way to life, water, and green pastures. What does Jesus mean in verse 8? Did you wrestle with this if you read the passage this week when he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers? Now, we might naturally assume that Jesus is speaking to the local re- uh, religious leaders who were exploiting the people for their own gain. But all is much more comprehensive than those who are just here and now. And we do know that all doesn't include those who were faithful shepherd leaders in previous generations. Men like Moses, the prophets, and others in the Old Testament that were faithful. D.A. Carson points out in his commentary on this verse, verse 8, he says that Jesus is separating himself from previous false messiahs who promised the people freedom and yet only led them into war, suffering, and slavery. The freedom that Jesus secures won't come by weapons but through a cross. And therefore, unlike the thief who who came to steal and kill and destroy, the life Jesus secures is eternal and abundant. And so as we look at verses 11 through 13, Uh, Actually, 11 through 18, we see Jesus is the Good Shepherd. He changes his metaphor, his imagery of the sheepfold from that of the door, the door that secures and protects, the door that leads to life. And now he describes himself as the Good Shepherd. And as we look at verses 11 through 13, he says, The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Guess what? A hired hand won't do the same. And that proves he's not truly a shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep, and so therefore, when trouble comes, he's like, I'm out of here. I'm not risking my life for somebody else's possessions. And that allows the wolf to wreak havoc on the flock. No, the good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep, even, when, even as the hireling cares nothing for them. In verses 14 through 16, for a second time, Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd, but then he adds something new to it. He says, I know my own and they know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And this leads to an unexpected expansion of the flock. Because in verse 15 or 16, it's the first time Jesus says that there's other sheep out there that aren't a part of my flock that I'm going to call, they'll hear my voice, and they'll join this flock. What is he talking about here? Isn't that stealing? Friends, this is the inclusion of the Jews and Gentiles into one body, into one church. Jesus is making one flock under one shepherd in this church. And he is pointing out that he came not just for the Jews, but he came for all people of all nations. He is the fulfillment of David's greater son. He is the fulfillment that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, that through him he would bless all nations through his offspring. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament promises. And he tells us that the sheep and the shepherd, they know each other. Now that's not new, but what's new is that Jesus is introducing the Father for the very first time in this parable and its explanation. And he's declaring to his audience that he and the Father know one another. And then, if that weren't enough to blow people's minds, he says, I'm also going to tell you something. I came to seek and to save the lost. It starts with the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but it will expand to all the lost. All those who are caught up in their sin. All those sheep who are lost and straying and wandering and have no safe place, I will call them. And because they are my sheep, they will hear my voice and they will follow me. And think about this, folks. I think this chapter is clearly ch- connected to chapter 9 because truly, truly, that figure of speech that Jesus used twice in this passage, never in John's gospel, It never introduces a new thought. It always builds off of one. The second thing is if you look at verse 21, we see that even Jesus' hearers connected Jesus' teaching to what he had done with the man who had been born blind, who he had healed in chapter 9. A demon cannot cast out. A demon cannot heal a man who was born blind, they say. And finally, Jesus, by his application, makes it clear. Hey, I am a good shepherd, and I can just point to you guys to just what happened a few hours ago. Look at verse 34 of chapter 9. Y'all kicked this man out of the church. But what did the good shepherd do in verse 35? He sought him out, and he found the man after he'd heard that he'd been kicked out of the synagogue. And he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me Who is the good shepherd, and how does the good shepherd seek for lost sheep, but in the way that Jesus just describes? You see, God is orchestrating all the events of your life in order that he can present himself to you in a compelling way in which he invites you. Do you believe in me? So you think your boss has control over your schedule. You think your, your battle is between you and your spouse or you as a child, you think your parents are unloving and that they are doing things to you that are born out of malice or they just don't trust you or they're not good and hearted towards you. Let me just tell you, God has ordained these things so that He can come to you at a point in time where you will hear His voice. And He simply asks, Will you follow me? Will you believe in me? And the clear defining mark of a sheep is whether or not it will listen to this shepherd. And if they don't, they are not a part of his flock. They do not believe. This was a historic problem as Angie led us in a reading from uh, Ezekiel chapter 34 this just a few minutes ago, this is a historic problem of being bad shepherds, false shepherds for Israel all throughout his history. Whether it was in the periods of the judges where every man did that which was right in their own eyes, or whether it was through the period of the kings where kings were corrupt and they were leading their people to do more sins than the generation before them. And so we read of passages like Isaiah and Jeremiah and as Angie read from Ezekiel 34 that mention to us what occurred in the historical books like Judges and Samuel, Kings and Chronicles. That these shepherds were false shepherds and they abused the sheep. They took advantage of them and they exploited them. And let me just say, when pastoral authority is used to hurt God's people, that is not good shepherding. That all the elders of this church are bound by oath and by covenant to serve Christ and to care for the sheep of this congregation. And we are called and accountable and will be held accountable by God for our stewardship of that. We are under shepherds. There is one great, chief, good shepherd. This church does not belong to any elder. You belong to Christ. He is the one who's redeemed you with his own blood. He's the one who's laid down his life for you as a sin substitute. And so we as elders, we need to hear this on how we use authority. We have to do it very wisely and we have to use it for the good of God's people and the glory of his name. That wasn't always the case. And that isn't always the case. And if that's been your experience in a church, I hurt for you. And I understand how hard it is to trust someone who's telling you to trust them. God is not calling us to be blind or stupid. There's a lot of analogies between sheep and Christians. And yes, sheep, man, if you don't trim their hair, they can die. If you don't cut their nails, they can die. If you don't feed them, they can die. If you don't water them, they can die. If they get too hot, they can die. I mean, sheep are weak, but you know what? There is application there, but the fact is, we're not called to be stupid. We're called to be as harmless as doves and as wise as serpents. And as Christians, your elders, South Canyon, are not asking you to blindly trust them. We're asking you to follow us as we follow Christ. And that puts a huge responsibility on us to be wise in our leading. Leading, not driving, not pushing, not yelling, not harassing, but loving leadership that's built off a of trust Isaiah 56 describes the leaders of God's people as shepherds and as watchmen. And what's interesting is in John chapter 9 and verse 40 and 41, Jesus condemned the watchmen of His day as being blind. And then here in John 10 and 8 and verses 12 and 13, Jesus declared the shepherds of His day to be false shepherds. He called them thieves and hirelings. Ezekiel 34 and verse 23, if you want to turn there, this is just a really important verse to bring to your attention. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 23, God makes this promise to his people. Angie read to us the passage that God says, I will be a shepherd to my sheep, but look at verse 23. It says, and I will set up over them one shepherd. My servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. See, in the Old Testament there was this promise that from David's offspring would come a greater one, greater than even David, under whom Israel saw all their borders expanded, the highest point of their life as a king. because Solomon's heart was turned away, even though there was more wealth and affluence in the, in the country during Solomon's reign, David was a man whose heart was towards the Lord. And God is promising there will be a day where there will be one shepherd for all his sheep. And that has been fulfilled in Jesus. So we come to this passage. And there's all kinds of truth for us to think about as a Christian. Like, do we really know God's voice in our life? Or does it sound just like all the other voices that we hear on the radio, social media, or streaming podcasts, whatever it is? And do we follow the voice of God? Are we walking in such communion with Him that we know where He's leading us, we can follow because we trust Him, even if we don't know where He's leading us? And then as elders, are we being good under shepherds? Jesus goes on to tell the, the, in this explanation, that not only does he have other fold or other another flock from another fold and he's going to bring the two together and make one from it but repeatedly four times he tells us that he is going to lay down his own life for the sheep and the father loves the son because the son is willing to fulfill the father's mission his charge what was that charge Well, in John's Gospel, John records Jesus' words. Just a quick summary. Chapter 3 and verse 34 and chapter 7 and 16, Jesus says, My charge is to speak the words of God, of my Father. Chapter 4, 5, and 6, he repeatedly asserts the fact that I am only to do the will of him who sent me. In chapter 5 and verse 23, Jesus says, If you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father who sent Him. In chapter 7 and verse 29, Jesus says, I know the Father. I know Him because I came from Him. He sent me, and I'm going to go back to Him. You see, the Apostle John understood that God sent Jesus to give His life to those who believed in Him. And He will say this more clearly In 1 John chapter 4, listen to verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What is John saying? John is reminding us that Jesus' whole point, his whole argument up to, the, uh, up to this point in the gospel is to show us clearly how he indeed is the better shepherd than any other shepherd that his people had ever had. Truly, truly, trust the words that are coming out of my mouth, Jesus is saying. He is pointing out what false shepherding looks like and he is pointing out what good shepherding looks like. Jesus' words and his actions match. These false shepherds say they love the people, they want to teach them the way of righteousness and yet they abuse the people, they extort money from the people, they exploit them for their own purposes. This passage shows us Jesus takes on this language of a shepherd giving his life. Now, you might think, well, a shepherd giving his life for a sheep, maybe John's just talking about the fact that it's an all consuming responsibility. It's like parenting, right? Parenting doesn't end at 8 o'clock at night, although, how many of us would love that? Parenting requires you to get up in the middle of the night when a child pukes all over the floor. Parenting requires feeding children. When they weren't hungry, but now they are. It requires transporting children to and from games and practices, picking them up from sleepovers at friend's house. Parenting requires financial involvement as well as emotional and relational. It requires teaching and instructing, both in how to tie your shoes and how to walk humbly with your God. Parenting isn't a clock-involved responsibility, and neither is shepherding. We might think that the shepherd who gives his life for a sheep is just the fact that the sheep are dictating what he has to do. Okay, they've been penned up all night, they need to get out, they need to get to water, and they need to get to grass. I think Jesus is going even beyond that idea. He's saying very clearly that it's not just that it's an all-encompassing responsibility, and that maybe, might, someday, perhaps, it could lead to being in a place like David faced, where a lion was attacking the flock, or a bear was, and he had to deliver the flock from the power and the paw of that lion and bear. And maybe, rarely, perhaps, ifs, ands, and buts, it could happen that there will be a time you will be called upon to do some great deed of delivering your flock. Now, Jesus says very clearly, I will give my life. And we know from this point of history that Jesus did give his life, right? We said uh, on one of the superscriptions underneath one of the songs we just sang had John 15, 13. No greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus has done for us. Now, some of us have devoted our lives to something. Teaching, mentoring, disciple making, pastoring we've worked in factories, we've worked in the military, we've done jobs in the Air Force, the National Guard we've devoted our lives to a career let me just say, Jesus gave his life, literally for us he loved us while we were yet sinners he didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up He didn't wait for us to walk up to the sheepfold door and knock on it and say, Hey, can I come in? Looks like a good party over here. I'd like to join in. He went out like we saw in John 9.35, and he went to those far recesses of the globe, and he took the gospel there through christians witness and word and he opened people's hearts to understand and believe that he is the christ and he called us to himself in order that we would be his witnesses and so we come to the conclusion of all this if this is the charge that jesus took if it was to lay down his life and that he says, no one is compelling me to do this. In fact, you Pharisees, I want you to hear this. I am laying down my life. You will snuff it out in a few chapters in John's Gospel. But I will take it back up again. He raised, God raised him from the dead. And Jesus says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This is the power of our God. While yet being dead, He lives again and He rises from the grave and He promises life to all who believe in Him. We come to the end, and, and this is just a simple conclusion. It's what are you going to do with this? As you look at 19 through 21, there was division among the people, they were split over he's insane and he's controlled by a demon. No, 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 no. Demons don't cast, uh, heal people who are born blind. They, they don't do good. And all that we've seen from Jesus, yes, yeah, some of his stuff is a pretty out there as it goes, but he's always consistent that he's calling people to understand himself as unique and as different from any other teacher, any other prophet, He's declared things, but he's also done things to prove it. What will you believe about Jesus? And will you hear his voice and give yourself to him and become one of his sheep? Lord, we pray and ask. We ask that your will would be done both on earth as it is in heaven that you would help us who may be struggling with Jesus' words and his statements, that there's this holy God that he was sent from in order to reconcile us to that God because our sin has separated us from him, and that there is a day of judgment coming that if we are not prepared, if we haven't clothed ourselves in the righteousness of Jesus by faith, trusting his work, then we will be eternally separated from that God. Th- these are hard things to wrestle with. And John doesn't shy away from them because Jesus doesn't shy away from them. I pray, Lord, that you would open, open the eyes of the blind this morning yet again. That you would do a miracle and you would make hearts of stone become living flesh that we would believe in the name of Jesus. And that even if our suffering in this world, even if following Jesus, which you told us it was going to be a hard road to follow, it was going to be a path that is fraught with danger. The Christian life isn't any easier than the non-Christian life. In fact, in many ways, it may be more difficult. But help us to trust you, Lord, that the way in which you're leading us does in fact lead to shady green pastures beside still waters. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace to follow you, to sing your praises, and we pray that you would give faith, repentance and faith. We ask all this in the name of our glorious and good shepherd, Jesus. Amen. Let's take a moment to reflect on what we've seen and heard from God's Word. Now, I understand that the Spirit has greater power than anything else. He may be speaking to you about something, a sin you need to confess, a confession you need to make, that Jesus is indeed going to be Lord of your life, that you're going to repent from your sins, and that you're going to trust Him. It may be that God is showing you something about how you use authority. Does it look like the way the good shepherd uses it, or do you look like the false shepherds? If God's speaking to you about something, this is the moment where we honor him by saying, yes, Lord, we will follow your voice. So let's take a moment to think about this, respond appropriately before we sing our final song. And if you have questions about anything that's happened this morning or where you're at in your mind and your thinking, look at the back of the bulletin. Talk to Find any of those guys on there. These elders would be happy to spend time talking with you. I'll be right outside I look forward to talking with you if you have questions, but let's take a moment to reflect before Joel and the team leads us in our closing song.